Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films made by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we take a different movie and we look at some of the themes and ideas that it throws up and after reviewing it we generally end the episode with some recommendations for other films based on actors, directors or just thematic or films we like basically. This season we are delving through the martial arts genre of filmmaking, taking it decade by decade, starting with the birth of the genre, and we're moving into the 1960s this week, and more on that later when Rob introduced the film. First though, we start every episode with a discussion of what else we've been consuming in the way of culture and media so rob what about you so this week i have watched in its entirety the the new series not new series, the recent series on netflix russian doll it is a sort of i don't know groundhog day by way of new york via by way of some sort of emotional new york set drama it's very weird very emotional very aggressive in many ways I I can't remember a show in a long time that goes so much out of its way if you dislike its main character Um, she is abrasive and unpleasant and selfish and mean and at some points like vindictively cruel but the the show I'm not going to spoil it but the show is about her learning that and learning about about herself and overcoming it and and, and, and some sort of self-actualization but without any kind of tweeness, without any kind of sort of, you know, nice veneer. It, it is it is aggressive and pushy the entire way. I can't talk about too much. It's really weird to talk about like an eight-episode TV show. I can't really say much because it kind of gives away a lot of the um, the sort of premise and the twists and the plot and that stuff. But all I can say is it is one of the best bits of TV I've seen in a long time. It's only eight episodes. Please, like, go, guys out there, if you're listening... Give it a chance, go watch it. If you haven't seen it, please find the time. It's really, really, really good. What about you, Sam? Um, a couple of things this week. Well, my TV watching at the moment, not much time on my hands, tends to be fairly... Um, things I can get away without too much brain power. Um, and the series that we're watching at the moment is the latest MasterChef. You can... You can um, clock out for hours of time and then come back in and you haven't missed anything I did um, I, I saw your tweet about this role about the eyelines and the editing and so weird for the following episode all I could think about was that and it, you, you just it, in some cases you just have to not watch the TV which sounds really weird for a TV show um, but you can follow the TV without watching most of it yeah, those who haven't seen the show, um, it basically it's like a it's Master Chef. It's a, it's a cooking competition, but it's just shot in a weird way where no when, when like when presenters are talking to each other, 
their eye lines basically the idea that they are looking at each other don't line up and it almost feels like everyone shot in different rooms at different times and somehow cut together afterwards it's just really weird the food's great the food's amazing but it's just weird little editing choices there's one and there's one particular point that occurs every episode when they have to comment on what the contestants are making or they they go back and talk to each other and not in front of the contestants and I only found out this week that they were actually talking to each other because like you say it like they're shot in completely different ways so it's mm. like they're in different rooms talking to the camera and it was only when Greg said oh John, we're looking forward to this. I thought, oh, actually, they're, they're opposite of each other. But I, really I was told, strange. someone did tell me basically that those two do not get on at all in real life. I'm not surprised. And I was like, maybe, maybe they are in the same room. Maybe that's the, yeah. the big secret trick of this. They're not actually <laughs> in the same room at the same time. And that explains so much. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, hey, the food side, like the actual like, content of the show was, is, is, is great. You know, the food is amazing. But it's just like, I just don't understand the choices they're making, and and like every time, like yeah, when they cut from one angle to the other, the break between like the last sentence finishing and the new one starting is a little bit too long. It just doesn't. It, it's, it was just. It's it's so weird. Like I, I'm I'm a big sort of proponent of editing as as, a, as an art form, and if anyone out there wants to sort of see editing and see the power of it, like this is important. It's a good thing to watch because it's just like it's a little little bit off. But it really, I mean, to me, it really stands out. It's just so strange. Uh, yeah, the the other thing I want to mention this week was what I'm reading actually, which is um, it's completely different. The ridiculous to the sublime is Neil Gaiman's um, Marvel 1602, where he set basically takes the MCU, although this is four years before the MCU was created, and sets it in Jacobean Britain, and it it's as you can tell from the from the title it's set in 1602 and it's an enjoyable read and it, as someone who doesn't know an awful lot about some of the characters it's it's good to be able to spot things and feel like I I, I can follow it um, it's just a, it's a really enjoyable read I would recommend that Marvel 1602 yeah, I should, we should should mention actually that's a comic book. If that turns you off, then don't read it. But it's brilliant. It shouldn't. Turn it you shouldn't off. turn you off. It's, there are <laughs> they are graphic novels. Um, and whilst I'm yes. not a fan of that word, they are they are in that sense. So yes, get on board. But as, yeah. as Sam said, we are moving ahead with our martial arts season, and we are reaching the sixties. We are particularly reaching 1966, and we are watching the movie Come Drink with Me. Come Drink With Me is a, a 96 Hong Kong action movie, a martial movie. Um, it is, tells a tale of a a martial arts practitioner called the Golden Swallow, who is sent to rescue the son of a local, government, local general. Um, she encounters the bandit gang, 
Um, and there is back and forth. He also encounters a local drunk beggar uh, by the name of Fan Daipai, um, who sort of gets involved and is revealed to be a, uh, a martial arts man in himself. Is, I'd say, light on plot and heavy on visuals, um, but it is often considered one of the best martial arts movies of all time. Sam, how did you fare? Some of the positives, first of all, um, it's another definite step forward after Samurai Saga, and it felt, I mean, the initial fight scene was really slick, and the editing felt really modern, and particularly the fight scene toward the end, the quantities of blood, it was, it just, just felt very modern in that respect. Um, and there was a rumour that Tarantino was going to direct a remake, which seems entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm, very much so. Um, having said that, though, I'm not a huge fan of this film. Um, it, it felt like nothing much happened for a long time. Like you said, it's light on plot. And then when it did happen, we had a... a, a unquestionably brilliant sort of fight sequence involving Golden Swallow at the temple and then suddenly the film wasn't really about her anymore it was about this this beggar drunken hero drunken cat um, and I thought it was a bit of a shame because well we're we're recording this day after International Women's Day it would have been nice for a film with a female protagonist to actually have had her in it to, to the very end mm. and she just seemed to go missing and it became all about the man saving her. So, yeah, I, I was just left a bit... It's mm, just a bit... I can understand that this is... This is up there and, and the the martial arts scenes are some of the best ever filmed, but it just left me cold, really, the rest of it. I mean, the... Like you said, low on plot, and I would go with that. And also, low on female involvement. It was kind of disappointing that it wasn't more about her. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. It does it say that the story does sort of change from being her story to being his story, kind of halfway through. Um, and in many ways, I felt she was the more interesting character of the two. Um, mm. But you know, it, it's it's still nineteen sixties, so we can't ask for everything from these movies. Um, but I, I think. For me, it it wins the points on its visuals and on its action scenes, um, mm. especially sort of the big sort of early um, fight in the inn. Um, now, the, the, in this kind of film is it's, everything's turned up a little bit to eleven, um, and you know the, the, this isn't the realism of the action movies we watched in previous movies. They, they are she is you know throwing bottles and tables around and, and all that sort of stuff. It's very kind of over exaggerated and very heightened the the fight scenes, but I really did enjoy that opening fight scene in the end, sort of the calm with which he just dispatched the entire sort of uh, band army. I would agree with that. I think I think part of my disappointment with her not being in it, it it's exactly what you said there that she is the much more engaging actress, and she is brilliant in that end scene. There is something, and the directors talked about getting hold of a ballet dancer rather than, a, rather than an actress or rather than a fighter for those scenes and 
you can tell there's something really poetic about the way she moves. It's, it's brilliant, those scenes. Yeah, I think that, that, that's... I suppose I'm coming up with this from our, our last sort of four or five weeks of... of um, of this series, um, I did enjoy the ballet she brought to and the grace that she brought to it. Not, not, not that the other fights haven't been graceful, they've been very graceful, but there was certainly a different energy and a different sort of movement style to her as this kind of elfin figure that everyone thought was a boy because of the presume she be, would be it would be a girl. But I enjoyed the different style she brought. And obviously, this is a, and I'm going to probably apologize for this, but I think it's Wushu, I think that the style is called. Um, and it's this kind of everyone's on wires, everyone's leaping up walls. It's everything's very heightened, and with that, the sort of the more naturalism that we've seen previously um, in other movies, um, especially the, the judo ones, the, the early one we watched on there, um, the realism of that is gone, and we're left with this much more balletic, much more acrobatic style of fighting, um, as opposed to a more mm. kind of practical and powerful. If you see what I'm saying, I have to say, I mean. As much as I, I liked her movement in these scenes, I'm not a huge fan of Wushu movement and filmmaking, and it, it sometimes can leave me a bit cold. I think because of because I think of martial arts films in that sort of in that framework of like you said of something powerful and realistic, mm. and then I feel just a bit cheated when when they're obviously on a trampoline or on a wire and it just yeah I, I, I want some I feel cheeky if there isn't that realism I understand that I think that's maybe if anyone wants to look at sort of overarching themes of you and me over the course of the show that I think I've always more embraced the visuals over other things I think that's why I do get on more with it and I might enjoy the, the genre and what at least what I've seen of it more because I do like the, the the visuals over maybe sort of the traditional elements of story and character that you are much more a champion of, I think. I think, well, in that respect, some some of the characters are um, particularly well-drawn. She She's brilliant. Um, I quite like Jade Face Tiger at times. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just... I think part of the reason I didn't get on with the film so much is that I didn't really like the drunken beggar character, the Phantom character. I, yes. I don't know whether it's that I don't rate him as an actor or the lines he was given weren't great. I, I don't know, I just didn't get on with him particularly. And given that he's the, the second half of the movie is built around him, that was a real a real problem for me if like you say, what I look for is character and narrative, and it, it's it's really difficult for me if if I can't get on board with that. No, I I understand that entirely. I think that the the uh, drunken night, drunken cat, drunken beggar character um, is does appear to be more of a sort of archetypal character within Japanese cinema that maybe didn't have the same Western roots that we're used to. It felt much, mm. it felt much more kind of like court jesterly in weird kind of ways. Um, but it did feel, like we discussed previously on this, on this series, it felt like it was pulling on cultural histories that we don't have. Because like yourself, I'm, I'm, I enjoyed the overall, but at some point I, I didn't gel with that character. I didn't gel with his way of doing things and his personality. But it is a personality that you've, I've seen more regularly, that more kind of zany aspect of, of Japanese sort of culture. 
I think the problem I have with it here, and I think I'm probably it sounds a bit more like I'm more positive than you are, is that it butts up against the other styles. You know, I look at things like movies like Kung Fu Hustle, which is a very zany kind of martial arts movie, but the whole thing's zany. The whole thing is in that kind of comedic space. Um, and so you kind of you buy into that world. Whereas here it feels like it's trying to have both. Yeah. It felt like those some of those scenes with um, Gonswan and Jeffers Tiger, the fight at the temple. It was like you said, they they they, they were serious, and and then butting up against that, you have the almost pratfalls of the beggar around the corner. It's just like that. That didn't really sit with me. I didn't really understand that as a. Possibly, like you say, as a as a Western movie, I, I just didn't get on board with that. Yeah, I I I I, mean, I get that entirely. I think that's there's certainly a, a disconnect there that we've discussed previously. I do have to say though that there's some of the fight scenes in this film, and like you say, the the visuals in this film are what make it. Some of the, the I suppose the the set pieces, and we we talked about the very end of what what was the very end of the that film on the on the heath with the fight um is it your kitchen i believe so yes yeah yeah um but there's there are things things that parallel that and with with the open vistas and the fight scenes and there was something really impressive about the visuals of this film yeah i, I think i just talking about visuals one thing that, that really did strike me in this movie which we haven't seen up until now is the amount of blood this film has? Mm. Um, we yeah. have seen we've seen obviously a lot of death in the movies, but often it's very clean, quick. And I mean, I genuinely can't think about when I've seen much blood in the fights. Um, and I imagine part of that is sort of the removal of sort of death from from people's viewings. And you look at movies these days, even sort of, you know, the big Marvel films, they're often fighting aliens or robots, and so not a lot of blood flowing around. No. And this felt like it felt weirdly shocking the amount of like actual death and blood you see, um, it, yeah. by both by the heroes and the villains. Like the heroes themselves, you see them like kill people, um, and it is very kind of shocking in that respect. Seeing that much blood having come from what felt more like a Western view on Japanese cinema being quite staid, like the, the, there wasn't a lot of blood at this point, and here it felt much more, much more violent and more kind of horrific in many ways, more like a horror movie in certain scenes by the amount of mm. the splurts and the gluts of blood you see. Especially the ending with um, Jock and Hero and Abbott Leocoin. The, I mean, by the end of that, you just thought there was a, there was a close-up of, of Jock and Hero's face and it was covered in blood. Mm. And you just thought he was at the stage where he didn't really care... Did he care whether he lived or died? Or what? I didn't really know. It was, it was difficult to understand. It, it was like everything was covered in blood. And it didn't really, you didn't really know who was dead or alive anymore. You didn't really care, and it was just a complete bloodbath. And that's what you saw in in Drunken Hero's face. And he thought, well, yeah, every, everything's ruined. That's what it felt looking like looking at this this sort of blood spattered landscape right at the end. But that I mean that's the I mean that's the the, the true story of these fights. They are they are fighting with swords. So there's going to be blood. Mm. There's going to be death. 
um, and people are going are going to die. You know, it isn't all sort of clean cut martial arts. You know, it's that kind of because it's that move we've had up until now. The movies we've been watched have often been about more the judo ones about physical martial arts. You know, hands and that more traditional kind of karate esque um, martial arts where you aren't using weapons or at least not bladed weapons. This mm. this is not the first film, but one of the big films in which we're suddenly getting into really like everyone's fighting with swords here and armor, and this is much more in that kind of martial arts rather than the sort of opposed like as we know it these days, modern martial arts. It felt like really, really, really like warfare at times, mm. and actually in in the in the last film that we saw, there were, there were those battle scenes, and you just sort of drawing parallels between. Um, and you started thinking of the samurai as fighters, but in this film really is about fighting. It really is about uh, fighting leading to death and violence leading to bloodshed. And I felt that the when when you had um, Jock and Hero and the Abbot right at the not quite at the end, but the sort of penultimate scene when. He he overpowers the abbot and then holds his sword up to his throat and says, "Right, if I ever find you again, I'll kill you." You think, well, mo- I think most Western films and also the martial arts films that we've seen so far would have ended there. Mm. And it was that last scene that made that that th- th- I saw that last scene and thought, "Oh, right, we're going there, are we?" Yeah, I just felt there there was that. Starting the unfinished business that this film definitely did finish, and that was that moment that I realised that that Tarantino would have made a good remake of this film. Yeah, yeah, I think also thinking about it, thinking about the other movies we watched, we discussed a couple of times about how the movie's been a lot more about the personal lives of of the um, the martial artists, and and it been much more like not action light but there's been a much more focus on character and story and much more on progression whereas this you're right feels like a war movie everyone in this is a battler is a fighter is, is a warrior there aren't it isn't a story about them protecting you know a family or or falling in love or any of that sort of stuff this is about them fighting and it is like it's a, a fighting movie um and it's the first one we've come across in our in our watch where it is a, it is a, that kind of martial arts fighting movie, um, in the same way we discussed briefly about being like these become being sports dramas. This is heavier on the sport than the drama. And think about that. And we we've talked on this before that if a film is, I suppose uh, earlier in this season, you're able to say, well, this is a a martial arts film without really being about martial arts and it mm. was about the development of a character or relationships or something else this very definitely is about martial arts this is a martial arts film where you can't ignore the fact that people are getting hurt I mean people die you see, you see them brutally die so do you have any recommendations for us Rob I do, I do, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let Sam have a little choice here. I've got one that's like a clean cut, clear connection. One that's really squirrely um, and it bears no relation to it, but I'm just bringing it up anyway. So do you, you want the clear one or the squirrely one first? Let's have the clear one first. So the clear one, I wanted to follow up this with a, another film of the era, um, which is a film from, I think, six, seven, six years later, um, called 14 Amazons. Um 
it's another Shaw Brothers um, swordplay movie. Um, it's another female-fronted one, which is one bringing up here. This one tells a tale of a group of wives and mothers who all their husbands and sons get killed in a war. And rather than sort of mourn their loss, they take up arms themselves and raise an army to go and to go and win the war in, in revenge. Um, it's a period film, um, but it is predominantly female-led. It is very violent. It is very in that same kind of Shaw Brothers style with a lot of blood um, and swordplay. And it's it's a, just a great yarn. If, you, if anyone out there has enjoyed watching this movie and you want to see more of, of the kick-ass women kicking ass, this is very much up there. My second recommendation is is a squirrely one um so you'll bear with me on this so one of the kids um that duncan monkey looks after um grows up to be an actor called mars and he's more famous and more well known for being a stunt coordinator a stunt man um and he popped up in a film that i have a deep love for despite everyone thinking it's utterly terrible and if anyone listens to this show for a long time knows i will always champion a film that i enjoy that the rest of the world thinks is terrible and probably is terrible but i love it um and that is the 1997 martial arts action movie double team starring van damme and dennis rodman um, with cracking support from Mickey Rourke before he was rehabbed um, later in his career. It is a very 90s Van Damme action thriller. Um, so your mileage may vary depending on your, on your talent for that. And Dennis Rodman can't act to save his life. He won a, a golden raspberry for worst actor, worst newcomer, and all that kind of stuff. And he deserves them. He's terrible. Um, but I have a love of this movie. It, it's like... It's, right in the core of my VHS terrible movie collection. Um, and he was one of the, the stunt coordinators on that movie. So it's a squirrely link, but if I've got a chance to bring up a Van Damme movie, I'm going to do it. Sam, top that. Right, well, I, I've got two. I've got one thematic and one which may or may not be connected. So which one of those do you want first? I'll go thematic first. Right, okay. So this this film, Come Dream Me, is based on the idea of a prisoner exchange, and the exchange sort of takes place towards the end and then doesn't. Um, this atmosphere, this idea of a prisoner exchange, is something that is behind um, one of my... I mean, this doesn't say a lot, but it is one of my favourite Piers Brosnan Bond films. Um it's the 2002 film Die Another Day. And this is one of those... There are some... Some baseballs and bomb films, some bomb films, some films in general that I'll just see on TV and I've seen them before and I'll turn it off. Um, Rob Wickings has talked about the is it the ITV3 test and I, 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 would, I would happily sit down and watch Die Another Day if that came on. Mm. Um, so yes, that's that's my first one. And my second one is, as I said, quite a it it may or may not be true. Um, one of the again another of the child actors that you mentioned. Um, there is a rumor that one of those child actors is Jackie Chan. Um, mm. and yeah, it may may or may not be true. The Lead actress Chamber Bears denied it, but I think it's on 
various websites about the film, so nah, leave it up to you. Um, it's good enough for us. It's good enough for us, and it gives me a chance to mention a film that is not going to get an outing this season, but is an excellent example of a genre and quite a faithful Wisher film as well, and um, something that sort of experts in the field have, have said is actually quite a good proponent of that. And there's the 2008 film Kung Fu Panda. Um, and that was not where I thought you were going, but brilliant. <laughs> good. Um, I, I'm I'm never sure about Jack Black. I sometimes think he's a bit over the top, and sometimes think he's just playing his high fidelity character all the time. Um, but when when he's good, he's very good, and I I really enjoy this film. So those are my two this week. Die Another Day and Kung Fu Panda. That sounds bizarre. Why would you ever link those two? In fairness, I, I brought up 14 Amazons, then Double Team, oh, which yes, is a film no one's so. mentioned and no one's <laughs> again. Um, but from the ridiculous to the sublime, guys, we are moving into the 70s in our next episode. And possibly the most famous movie we're going to cover on this mm. series. And maybe the most well copied and most archetypal movie of the genre um and that is 1973's film enter the dragon starring the one the only the bruce lee so tune in next week we will cover that movie in all its depth and all its glory um and uh, we'll hear what we have to say about this this seminal classic that uh, i'm sure i'm sure we will both love to our heart's content till then you can find us both online at pretty podcast you find just me on Twitter at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys back here in two weeks' time.